Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to week two of RDQI. You may have tuned into week one because uh, Ryan and I were really poking at you to do so, but if you've tuned into this second week, it means you might actually kind of like what we're doing, and that means the absolute world to us. So just for that, we put together this really, really fantastic episode. I'm not going to say much in the preface because I think the episode speaks for itself, but Ryan and I do get pretty personal at the end. So if you've ever wanted to hear either you know, myself or Ryan really get critical about our younger and dumber selves, this episode is for you. Hope you enjoy the show. This episode of RDQI is brought to you by Beats Haberdashery. Do you want to be at the top of your game? Do you want to be at the top? Well, then get one of Pete's Haberdashery Top Hats. Yes, that's right. It might have been stylish in the 1860s, but guess what? You want to be at the top of your game? Well, you got to buy one of these hats. Visit Pete'sHaberdashery.com. Well, Ryan, what is the difference between a movie and a film? Ooh, all right. We've talked about that this. That question's on, just for you. Yeah, just for me. We've, we've talked about this on a couple of occasions in our history. But I would say my interpretation, my definition, if you will, has changed. Because I, I used to be of the camp that it was kind of a snobby way for me in college to say, I like art films and I like Criterion Collection films. But this mainstream what? comedy, rom-com, that's just a movie. And that was my What's delineation. Cri- what did you say? Criterion culture? Uh, criterion collection. It's um collection. Yeah, it's basically a collection of some of the finest movies in cinematic history. Maybe that might be a way to describe it. Yeah, <laughs> objectively. Um, from the position of like films, movies, whatever we, you know, we're going to get into that, of course, as purely as a me- method of art and like what movies can actually effectively communicate to you know any given population it sounds which makes it sound even snobbier than it is okay it's all it's typically black and white movies and french or polish directors like breaking the molds and it's not just those nationalities but polish directors and french directors and american directors italian directors somewhat have a pretty big stake in the film game from my limited movie history so if you're a movie buff out there Write an email and tell us apart, tear us apart. Um, but kind of going back to what I was saying, I think you know that that was the distinction I made, and that that was me being a uh, a particular type of individual. Let's say, um, you know, in college, liberal arts degree at a music school, I had stupid opinions about anything. Um, but I I think it's a it's a great question because it does dig into this idea of like how do words change over time? Because film the the calling something a film is really to describe the physical medium that was used traditionally to record movies, right? Moving pictures, right? So you would, you could say, Mm -hmm. Hey, we're going to go out and film this weekend. And I don't know, 30 years ago, it would have been like, literally like, Hey, we're taking film and a camera out and we are using that film to record. Nowadays you could Mm say, Hey, we're going to go film this weekend Oh, cool. What format are you going to use? I'm going to use Panasonic, um, you know, digital high def capture. I totally just made that up. I know Panasonic's a company, but so it's, you're not actually using film anymore, but it's fallen into this vernacular of the act of creating a movie, you might say. 
and it, the two can be somewhat interchangeable, but I guess the question is, should we allow them to be interchangeable? So from a non-film buff standpoint, well, film buff, film buff is an interesting term too. Um, but I mean, I, I think of f- the term film as a pretentious movie. Um, and I think, you know, what you were talking about with the, the, the words and the etymology of the words kind of describes the same thing because a film is, oh, it's the, it's the medium, it's the technological medium on which these things are created. A movie, even though it sounds normal to us now, is just, hey, those things are moving. What do we call it? Oh, it's a movie. You know, <laughs> it's the same <laughs> sure. thing as talkie. Oh, oh you, you're going to go see a talkie. Um, it's sort of this really... Ah, frankly dumb kind of turn of phrase and i think that's the connotation movies are dumb entertainment and a film is a work of art and it makes you think or it expresses beauty or it shines the light on on you know a certain type of person or people or a plight or something like that um mm-hmm. but there's a pretension about it uh yeah, and I think I, I that's think what I was that, inarticulately expressing about myself as a 20-year-old in college is I was a pretentious individual. That's what I <laughs> wanted to say. Thank you for explaining me, Dave. But but I think the <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no. I think there's I I think there it without the pretension though, there's still there still is a true delineation between the two, right? Because not everybody who likes transformers is going to like gone with the wind. Right. I mean, those are two, I would almost say they are two different mediums. Maybe gone with the wind's not a a good example. Um, Casablanca surely is. Yeah. Uh, There we go. Citizen Kane. Just throw that one out there. You're always see. There we go. That's the one I was thinking of. Um, you know, they're, they're really expressing different things they're really seeking to entertain different audiences right i mean transformers is action-packed it's it's you know edge of your seat entertainment with all of the special effects and cgi you can muster Mm -hmm. citizen kane is is none of that it's uh well, it's a very uniquely told story but be very careful because there were a lot of cinematograph cinematograph There were a lot of developments (laughs) in cinematography during that film. There we go. We are going to make so many film buffs angry with this conversation. (laughs) Of course we are. And again, and by so many, I mean the three that we know. (laughs) Sure. And they will, yeah, chastise us. And that's fine. Citizen Kane was a masterwork. How dare you? And it was. I would agree with that. But, and you're right, because I think, but see, here's where it gets tricky, right? Because I would, I would generally agree with you. But then what you're saying is that it's kind of the motivation behind the creation of the cinematic piece, to use some neutral language, is what determines if it, if, if it ends up being called a film or a movie, right? That's kind of what you're phrasing, laying out? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. And, I mean, I again, that kind of goes back to my you know 2000s definition that I was running with. It's like, yeah, it's the the artistic aspiration that I think might be the difference between the two. But that gets real precarious because then 
yeah, I mean, how do you explain that to someone? Like you meet someone at a mixer, whatever those are, or at a bar, whatever those are, and it's a total stranger and you're five minutes into a conversation and somehow you have the opportunity to express that, no, that's just a movie. I was talking about films. You wouldn't go about it that way, right? It would, unless you wanted to end the conversation and then you might. Um, <laughs> so, because then it becomes very tricky and subtle, nuanced, and then your perspective and opinion comes in the matter, which I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Um, but then that becomes language that you kind of pick and choose to use around certain people. And that all of a sudden becomes a little funny too. You know, what's interesting is I I was just thinking about how, how this delineation applies to other art mediums. And it's, it's kind of consistent and consistently different than the movie film dynamic, right? So you have music, you have pop music. Like if, you, if music is music and music is art, if you want to specify that it's a mass consumption type of product, you say pop music. Same thing with art, you know, pop art. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have these, you don't have a, I can't think of a term in music that is a pretentious way to describe music. Well, yeah, it's probably not a term. It's usually more the phrasing of words and how they're delivered that gives music critics protection, you know? (laughs) Postmodern jazz is, yeah, okay. (laughs) Right, right. We all know where we're going with that one, but but it's a genre of music, not a term for music as art. I think it's just assumed that music is art, whereas it's, oh, hang on, that's that's the the difference. Mm Mm-hmm. but tell me if you agree with this. A piece of music is assumed to be art unless otherwise specified. And that's why you have music and pop music. A movie is not. The assumption is that it's a blockbuster and it's entertainment unless it's, it's, it fits this niche role where it is art and then it's a film. A film. Right, 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 right. Yeah, which I think why is... Why is that, though? Uh... <laughs> Why is that? Um, well, music's been around for a much longer time, first off. Um, now, the recordings of music, that's only been around since about the time of movies, essentially. A little bit before, I think. But not too mm-hmm. much farther before. Um, Was there such a thing as pop music before the invention of recorded music no because i well i would argue no because i think pop music is more tied to a cultural change in on a global scale i think um if you look at american pop music what we would typically call that i think really comes out of this weird gray area from like twenties to the fifties in music where you had a great smorgasbord of so many different things going on in the mixing melting pot we call America. And it was, um, predominant, you know, there's so many different influences in there. Um, like unbelievable amounts of influences of people that might meet up in New York, say at printers, you know, printers row, um, or tin pan alley or what, you know, whatever music, publication area you want to talk about and Mm -hmm. i think pop music really became pop music when i mean i would say when top 40 radio charts were created that was probably the you know that's like 
the mechanism that enabled pop music to kind of be its own thing. That's just off the top of my head. No real history to back that up or quotes. But that's my that's where I think pop music kind of differentiated itself. And I, that might be in part why we talk about pop music. In movie making, um, I don't, there wasn't really so much of that. Not directly, because there's so many different mediums. It wasn't just movies. You also have television. Um, and then built into that, you have advertisements, um, which obviously you have radio advertisements. Um, but Michael Bay, our beloved Transformers director, he makes a lot of money directing advertisements. Um, <laughs> and so I think there's some subtle differences between the two, just the industries of them, like how they function. And so, yeah, I think I feel like I'm losing myself cause I'm on such tenuous ground here, but I think that's the, well, some of the underpinnings culturally of why we have pop music and why we so clearly identify it. I, I just I think it's it's to 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 get us back on. <laughs> Wait, this no isn't offense, about music. To get Dave? us back on track a little bit. Oh my bad. <laughs> uh, if we stayed on topic, Ryan, this uh, this podcast really wouldn't be fulfilling the <laughs> anyone what we're trying to get out of it. Um, it's just, it's so interesting to me that you have these two mediums, you have, you have film and you have music and the default for music is that it is a work of art. And the default for film is that it's entertainment and it's only unusually pop music when it's pop music. And it's only unusually artistic film when it's film. And I just, it, it's so, yeah, yeah, I, but okay, so what would you do with um Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight? Cuz that's in the la- the music language we're using, that's pop film basically. It's intended it, to be consumed yeah, by a right. mass audience across the globe even. Um it follows it's a it's a <laughs> it's a hero movie. Like what is more pop movie in America than a hero movie, you know? It took a comic book. You're like, this is the great material we need. And don't get me wrong, as far as I can tell, I love the material about any comic book I've read. But it, you know, when you go back to comic books, it's not like Nobel prizes are being given out for comic books, as far as I know. Please correct me if I'm wrong. No, and and the the Avengers movies, you know, Marvel movies were entertaining for me. They didn't they didn't change my worldview. They didn't right. make me think, oh wow, this is genius. Other than you know, financially genius. Um, but the Dark Knight was brilliant. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I right. you know in in terms of how it portrayed the villain uh how it I and I don't know and again this is where our our film buff friends are going to chew us up but it may have been one of one of the first not the dark knight but one of the batman the new christopher nolan saga was one of the first superhero movies where you know we start a we see this trend now but I think it was one of the the forefront you know trendsetters for this idea of let's introduce a ton of moral ambiguity into traditionally black and white hero versus villain archetype superhero movies Mm -hmm. um and you know the 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 
Heath Ledger's The Joker in The Dark Knight was just this wild, crazy character um, who was evil, but also kind of likable at the same time, but also just incredibly mysterious. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it it had necessarily the same impact on on the you know technology and technique of film as something like Citizen Kane. But it it certainly is more to, in my opinion, more than just a nice way to kill two hours. <laughs> you know, more mm-hmm. than just entertainment. It was really a story. But that's a that's a good point. Is you know we're so we set up these two these two categories of of film moving movies. pictures moving pictures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't get how ridiculous movie is out of my head. It's a movie. Um, <laughs> right, what what mm-hmm. is the difference? Because you know, when I when I think of film, I think of I, I've watched a number of you know, pretty pretty solidly in the category of film films with you. And I have liked a couple and I've liked <laughs> more of them because of the commentary from you. <laughs> but frankly, a lot of those were really not my cup of tea. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And uh, those, those are clearly films, right? They are, you know, Citizen Kane, if, if you watch that today, I don't care who you are, unless you know why that was groundbreaking, it does not mean anything to you because all of the things that Citizen Kane invented in terms of cinematography, in terms of storytelling, have been used so much in the interceding years. I don't know how long that film's been around, but for before you and I were born. Mm-hmm. So we don't recognize it. I remember so it's brief almost story. it's almost cliche. My, you know, if you didn't know what it was, you would be like, this is a right. cliche. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it is it's really astounding when you find the origin of a cliche. Like, what you were the first person to think of that? Wow. Mhm. Um I remember my when I was younger, my dad showed me a new we rented a new hope from Oh uh, yeah. No, it wasn't it wasn't Blockbuster, it was some Oh, like, family, family video. I bet video you it was family thing. video. Not No, it was Wait, that there one was on more the than two companies. <laughs> <laughs> That wait, was the business to be in back in the day. Wait, wait, excuse us, listeners. We're going to go on nostalgia here. Wait, what corner are you talking about? Uh, as much as you can share. Do you know this. The, <laughs> the you know the plaza where Binnie's was? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like on the edge of that. Oh, so you like you, you it was like Lion Video. You Lion Video. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now everybody knows where we are. Yep. Yeah. No, that place. That place uh, ran make, out of make sure to like and subscribe if you really worked. So video. we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, my dad. We, we rented a New Hope, and my dad was so excited, and he was, you know, this, this. Uh, so there's the the first scene, the first space fight scene in A New Hope is, um, they're all aboard the Millennium Falcon, and they're getting chased by Tie Fighters. And so Luke and I forget who I think. Han Hold up, sorry, Dave. Jumped in just because there will be Star yeah. Wars fans listening. They're on board, not the Millennium Falcon, but a Rebel cruise ship that has a name. No, 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 no. They the were aboard the Millennium scene? Falcon. No, 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 no. Not the um, opening scene. No, 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 no. no. The first like space okay. laser fight. There we go. Yeah, you're right. They were aboard the. Oh God, Corellian cruiser. Yeah. Yep. 
Got you it. didn't see that, but I pushed I pushed my giant thick glasses Dave, up on my nose. We all heard that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm cool, I swear. So to get um, back to Star Wars, the first like laser fight scene. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So my dad saw that in the theater. So so they jump into the cockpit and they're shooting lasers at the TIE fighters and stuff's exploding. And when my dad saw this in the theaters in 1973. I'm sure that's wrong. Yeah, we're it's gonna, around that time. Yep, 70s. Um, he was blown away. Like, and, and that was, you know, that was that was mind blowing. You can read accounts of people seeing that in theaters for the first time. It was cutting edge special effects. Nobody had seen that on the big screen ever before. Mm-hmm. And he was so excited to show this to me. And I had already seen, you know, like. I grew up in the 90s. The special effects had progressed quite a bit by then. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching the scene and then afterwards asking him, like, so when is the crazy part? I was like, that. <laughs> oh, what your do you dad mean? must have been so disappointed. <laughs> it was, I, it was, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't remember how he reacted to it. But, you know, if you didn't live through certain things, you don't understand how mind-blowing they were at the time. Mm -hmm. And Citizen Kane is one of those things that people study it in school, and when you really understand everything that's going on around it, how groundbreaking it was, you can appreciate it. If you don't, if you're just flipping through channels and you watch Citizen Kane and you don't understand what it's about, you're not going to like it. (laughs) You probably won't even finish it. It is a long, slow movie as far as pacing is concerned. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) right and you don't you know and even there's a big payoff at the end and you know that going into it and so you keep watching it you don't know there's a payoff at the end Mm -hmm. yeah um and again it seems like a joke because it's a cliche to say rosebud sorry spoiler alert it's a cliche (laughs) to say i think that's the the like there's no (laughs) it's it's impervious to spoiler alert like if you watch (laughs) citizen kane and you're like oh my god you (laughs) I don't know. Just, just <laughs> yep. No, I, we're not paying attention. I think if a movie's over, let's say ten years old, maybe twenty years old, just to be safe. There's no reason to be upset about spoiling it, which has nothing yeah, to do with like what is the difference between a movie and a film. But you're right because because then historically, where I was going with my, mm-hmm. you go ahead. No, I'm. I was just trying to riff. Where I was going with my roundabout tangent is Citizen Kane is a film. There, it, it takes a certain type of person to appreciate it. Now, Citizen Kane, I think, is, well, I mean, it's, there's a lot of, of you know, it's a, it's a big hit with cinematography or, or students of cinematography. Um, but there's definitely an artistic quality to it, too. Then there's those gray line films that what you know what what does really make a movie versus a, a film? Because I would argue, and I'm sure people will argue with me about this, but to I I don't know, can you watch Citizen Kane right now and enjoy it as a layperson? I think that's entirely possible, but I think it's also unlikely. Not as a nostalgic, you know, not as, oh, I, I saw this back in the day and I love this movie. 
just, you know, watching it for the first time, you're not into film, cinematography, all that stuff. I don't know if it's really that enjoyable, especially because so many of these blockbusters today are designed to just hit all of our, you know, dopamine receptors. Mm-hmm. I it's now forget movies. I, and again, let's, I mean that's let's even condense what moving pictures can do now. TikToks. I mean, that's one of the most fascinating moving picture phenomenons that I've been observing, at least from my perspective. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a niece who's all about it, and it's just hilarious to me. Cause she's just doing these little dances. And when I say dance, I mean her arms move. And sometimes she'll make a face. And that's about <laughs> it. And they're 10 song, 10 seconds long, probably max, typically lip syncing. Mm. There's no actual audio from the room. It's just funny to me. But if you're, if you're consuming, if you're used to consuming media like that, and you're used to a 10 second clip being able to tell you a story in a very brief amount of time, how could you possibly watch Citizen Kane and be like, yeah, I'm really glad they took this long to explain all these subtle nuances and in a person's life and relationship with the world. Yeah. I'm so much deeper and richer for it. I just don't think that's going to be as available to the average individual. Probably not. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's art that requires a knowledge of the time and a place and an appreciation for the time and the place. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, well, Hey, that's the difference between, um, a, a book or a novel and literature. Um, even something like Hemingway, I think you really need to understand the context and what he invented. I mean, I, I most of us have heard of, of, you know, show, not tell, right? That's third grade writing. Mm-hmm. You don't, right. you don't explicitly state, you kind of show what's happening. I mean, Hemingway really kind of, not invented, but certainly perfected um, the idea of, of less is more. You know, his his famous quote, write one true sentence, the truest sentence you can think of, and then go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that is that what film is? And I and I think I want to ask you to to talk about your enjoyment of film. So mm. think about. I can't think of anything specifically because they were so boring that I never even remember the name, but think about the, <laughs> think about a French film that you enjoy. That's clearly a film. Why do you, why would you watch that over transformers three, five man? Yeah. Okay. So what are you getting out of it? Well, I think it's, to me, movies are a fascinating mechanism of storytelling because it's not just, it's not a play. It's not a stage production in the sense that you're physically in the space with the actors. There is a proverbial fourth wall, but that fourth wall can literally be broken by the actor leaving the stage and entering the audience. And there's, Let's be clear, there's ways to break the fourth fourth wall in film too. And it's, but it's just a different mechanism, right? Because you can't literally walk through the lens. It's just not, as far as I can understand, possible. So I never really like stage plays because it just, it doesn't have the shine, it doesn't have the polish, it doesn't have the subtlety that I, I like out of a lot of things. Um, I'm very much a less is more person. Um, 
and aesthetically I've always, I mean, that's what led me to my, you know, first career in audio engineering was balancing aesthetic, you know, working with the band and saying, okay, this is what you want your sound to be. How can I help you technically in the physical realm of equipment and processing equipment and the digital transfer? How can I actually make that come true? So I've always been inclined towards those sort of perspectives. And so for me, in a lot of ways, film was like cross training for music because it was just a completely different discipline, um, much more tied to what is visually happening. But any great movie or film, the sound is also going to be impeccable because it just doesn't work otherwise. Um, so what I've always got out of film, what I've liked about it, is that subtlety, is that dryness, that the, especially what you're showing, like show, sorry, especially what you're saying, show, not tell. I think great movies don't, don't like walk you through the film. They don't hold your hand and say, okay, here we go. Here's the next scene. Here's what's going on here. Here's what's going on here. Um, like a great example of that would be another Christopher Nolan film, um, Inception where Helen Page's character was basically there to A, B, you know, key role, but really her role was to (laughs) help you understand what they mean by consciousness and infiltrating someone's consciousness. Because that's a hard (laughs) subject to broach. And if if you've never had a conversation about consciousness or levels of it or strata and how the brain works, it would honestly be very confusing film. Now, again, this is like a crossover film that became pop art sort of thing, right? So you have to marry the two. Um, whereas I'm more inclined towards for whatever reason, I honestly don't know why, uh, let's say this isn't a French director, but, uh, Federico Fellini, great director. He's most famous for La Dolce Vita. Um, I'm sure everyone's seen that movie poster at some point in their life. Look it up. There's a very busty blonde woman on the front. You will instantly be like, oh yeah, I've seen that around. Um, he had a film called eight and a half and for some reason, I still don't know what it was. For some reason, I decided to watch this while I was at college, at university. And it is an incredibly tedious movie. The first two times I watched it, I fell asleep during both occasions for a period of the film. <laughs> and I still to this day would say it's probably my favorite movie in the world. And a lot of that is really a lot of that is tied to it was my in a lot of ways me opening or discovering the door that opened this world of at the time it was like fifties and sixties film coming out of France and Italy primarily mostly that I just fell in love with the tone of the films. Um, Goddard is another good example, um, French cool, if you will. It's just these understated, dry movies. Um, old Italian movies are hilarious to watch because the scripts were typically written after they were filmed. So during acting, they would... <laughs> what? Well, I mean, they, they might... Sorry, the scripts are... I mean, there were scripts there, but it wasn't finalized. So they may be filming, but the conversation that these two characters on screen are having, having it might be originally like, Hi, Bob, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing swell, Ted. And then at the end, it might be like, Oh, hello, Bob. How is it today with you? Oh, I'm doing well. You know, like there's those subtle changes because they were recording all the audio post, right? So they're dubbing everything in. Huh. So you get this funny effect, which it helps because I don't what? I don't really speak Italian. E- even <laughs> so, Sorry, e- even in, in the original language or is this just an See, English yeah, dubbing yeah, phenomenon? Original language, yeah. Um, 
but that was part so of the creative weird. process. And again, kind of going back to our medium is the message conversation, like because the medium is film, because you don't have to commit to a script until you've dubbed, but you can film before you've dubbed the audio. That is, you've created a whole new way to construct a story. And therefore, because we're humans, we'll always push everything to the nth degree. We just have a new forum for discussion, essentially. And I think that's what's always fascinated me about film was, and that's what opened my eyes to it was like the diving into this film and really soaking in it. And um, I also have a huge man crush on the main actor. His name is Marcello Mastriani. And he is like the epitome to cool, of cool to me. Like the, like the black skinny tie, you know, that look? That's Marcello Mastriani. I, yes. And I also remember watching this. I think this might have been the last time I was hanging out with you in Chicago before you moved away. And uh, I remember we watched that. And I remember really liking it. And then I also remember falling asleep. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Because it's so, it's, it's just, for the attention spans that our brains operate at now, it's really difficult to sit through it. You have to be committed to it. You have to be committed to like being stubborn about it too, even. And that's what I was at the time. I was like, no, I'm going to, there must have been some thought group or group of people or something that I was like trying to get in with. And I was just like, I really want to understand this. And so I stuck to it. And I think because of that, I fell in love with it. So maybe it's just the fact that I stuck through it and I learned to enjoy it. Kind of like acquiring a taste for fermented food maybe, but I don't know. So, so let me ask you this and it's, it's going to sound a little bit uh, like a dig, but I'm right there with you. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Chuck Palahniuk, the author of Fight Club and Choke, the other day. Mm -hmm. And he brought up this uh, really interesting concept about uh, when he was talking about writing. And, and his thought was, you want to make the reader understand something before the main characters in the book. Mm-hmm. And you want to make the reader feel like they discovered something that you didn't know or the characters didn't know. And it makes them feel smarter, superior in some way. Um, and he was telling a joke about how he goes to parties and he says, uh, you know, he, he brings up wrong historical facts. He's like, you know, uh, Sylvia Plath, uh, she wrote the, the bell curve. <laughs> and then everybody will look around and like, no, it's the... She wrote the bell jar. And because everybody else knew that, they feel this this sense of, of superiority or that, you know, their it validates their education or their experience or their intellect. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is there an element of that in what film is? Because if I think of a film that I absolutely love, which is Casablanca, what I love so much about that film is that the dialogue is so witty, snappy, understated, cast aside. If you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. If you're not attuned to certain turns of phrase, you'll miss the jokes. And I hate to admit, when I get those, or when I, when I hear something that I know not everybody will get, there is a little... Oh yeah. Ego inflated oh, yeah. sense of superiority of, Oh yeah. 
I understand film. Yeah. Not everybody does. I'm smarter. I mean, I'm not obviously thinking this out loud, but I can't I can't deny that that's that is an element of right the, the certain what? films that I do like, certain art pieces that I like. Right, whether or not it's conscious or subconscious, I would say that is Yeah, I mean it's a fundamental part of how the brain functions. It's a reward function, right? Like, oh, I did something good. I, you know, get a dopamine rush or whatever, you know, there's a lot of different ways the brain's going to work depending on the stimuli. Um And so I yeah, yeah. I think is so. Is that a part of film? I mean, is that a part of sitting through Citizen Kane and thinking like, oh, yeah, like I got the rosebud payoff at the end and I sat through it and I understood all of the, you know, the cinematic nuances. I am superior in understanding film. Yeah, and I I would say yes, generally, because I would say that applies to everything. Um, I would say... I mean, like, you name it, baseball. Let's just talk about baseball. Like, going to, you know, the good old days when I lived on Addison Street in Chicago and could just walk to the ballpark for a game, you know, just casually, if I could, make it to the ballpark for an afternoon game or something like that every now and then by myself. And eventually, you know, you strike up conversations with people around you because what are you going to do? You're sitting around watching 18 people mostly stand around. So you end up talking and then you kind of get a gauge of like, who's the baseball person and who isn't sort of thing. Like who's there? Cause like, it's just a fun place to be. And man, Wrigley field is one of the best places to be at times. But then there's also people there who are just diehard baseball fans, still keeping score, the old, like the scorecard, the old manual way, you know? And when you talk to them, there's definitely that kind of like that inside edge. Like if you, you know, if those two people mesh and kind of like connect them, you know, talking about certain players and really digging into the lore of the game and the deepness and the story behind it all. And yeah, there's that, there's like that knowing glint in the eye, you know, when you talk to each other, it's the same. And I would even say it's the same thing when you, you reacquaint yourself with a friend from like a deep friend from a long time ago, or you just are with them again. You just, you remember that you both have this deeper understanding, this deeper connection that you've figured out between each other. And that's always going to be satisfying. So why wouldn't we extend that to what other inputs we take in, you know, as far as sensory experiences like movies? So, I, yeah, I would say so. So then is the requirement to enjoy film that you can discuss it with someone else or that you can have that, you know, it, it, from the sun also rises, that officione uh, understanding oh, yeah. between two people. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. And that person doesn't I think even so need too. to be a living, breathing relationship. Um Marcello Mastriani is not alive anymore. Am I, do I have a relationship with him? No. But has he informed some of my decisions about certain aspects aesthetically in particular? Yes, absolutely. You know, so it's not a relationship, but that is a connection, you know. Um, a very, very loose and amorphous connection that's really subject to my opinion, you know. <laughs> but there is something yeah. like that. I mean, that's the reason why we watch tv shows that or that's why we enjoy in any story a character who grows and has faults because we reckon we identify with that all of us are on a path of growth all of us are going to make mistakes and we love to see other people go through that and to see them grow through that or sometimes we like to see them fail through that i mean there's all different motivations right but 
that, that person's yeah. a total fictitious character on a screen, and yet we resonate with them emotionally. And I'm sure if you threw someone in a, an MRI or something like that, any of the unique methods we have for scanning brain activity, and I'm sure there's a study out there that's done it, but like, I'm sure you'd see in the brain a lot of circuits firing that would be similar to when they reacquaint themselves with a friend, like a real individual. I, I would, you know, Dave, I would bet a really good bottle of wine, like $150 bottle of wine from a chosen estate somewhere in California if they haven't all burned down. I would put that on the Were line. you not at the last podcast? No, we're talking $20,000 bottle of wine. <laughs> All right, then how about a $200 bottle of beer? Is that just like $200 worth of PBR? (laughs) (laughs) No, like, you know, like a bottle that costs $200. Gross. (laughs) Here you go, Dave. You win the bet. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you want these delivered? (laughs) Oh, man. No, no, no. No, but I would bet that that is, um, it's a similar function in the brain that's happening. That would be my hypothesis. I I would tend to agree with that. I mean, we, you know, at some point we should discuss the hero's journey. Um, oh yeah, or the idea of myth of myth. But you, you know, myth. When you study myth um, in within different cultures, dating back to you know recorded history or pre-recorded history, pre pre history, whatever. Um, these these myth archetypes are found in cultures at opposite ends of the world originating around the same time meaning right they they were independently you know created and fostered because you know these archetypes really just exemplify the human condition and elements of the human condition and we love to see people overcome now i brief tangent which we should talk about at some point but um I I would love to discuss why we had the hero who overcomes as a trope when we were younger and with the advent of reality TV we've kind of devolved into the the anti-hero where hey there's somebody on TV who's worse than me <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing too bad if this person exists in the world yeah um I would which we, that is a different conversation, especially because I'd say the anti-hero came out post World War II. So that's why we need to do another podcast on that. Not, one. Yeah, not the anti-hero. I just I, I feel like I don't know. There's so there's so much out there now where there is no hero. That every character in the show is an awful oh, awful human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, kind of and like uh, the I, crash I effect. Like that movie Crash. Yeah, and I don't, I don't get the 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 desire to watch. Like it, to me, the only the only desire can be to watch people who are worse off than you. I know that's that's really leading, and I'm sure <laughs> uh-huh. it's incorrect. Uh-huh. But, but I would love to, to feel be, better. Than like, other yeah, I would people. love to be proven wrong because I want to believe the best in everybody. Sure, but I don't get reality TV anyway. Yeah, no, no, no I and it kind of going going back to Dark Knight. I think that's what that movie was able to do very well that film movie at this point, honestly, I think personally I'm going to be interchangeable. Um, <laughs> well, that we're talking about those, those, you know, edge of the line, dark night inception film, movie, movie, film. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I also love, you know what I love about the dark night? Yep. 
Well, I don't know, actually. I was just saying yes as in go on. <laughs> yes, I do. Good. Then I don't have to tell you. Move on. Um, when I, so when I watch Casablanca, you know, I think, I mean, just, just to be, to, to you know, uh, God, I can't think of the word, um, hate on myself for a bit. When I was younger, I certainly tried to get into areas of art that I really only did because I wanted to appear smart or I wanted yep. to appear intelligent or I wanted to appear intelligent to a certain group, you know, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. I am totally guilty of that. Yes, you are. Um, no, I meant I am <laughs> as I've, as I've gotten older, I've, I've really taken a hard look at that, at that aspect of, of my life, my personality and really tried to to push it away um not to push away things that are th- you know that require you to think deeply or something like that but but just pushing it away as a i want to do this just because um mm. but one thing something that i love about the dark knight is where it differs from a pure entertainment movie is it does make you think but it doesn't make you think in a way that's superior to other people. It doesn't make you think, oh, this per, you know, this was a, a puzzle or this was a highly complicated turn of phrase or a highly complicated plot that only I and a select few people understand. It, it kind of, it makes everybody think. It's not being esoteric for the sake of being esoteric. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that, follows Chuck Palahniuk's rule of making the audience understand something, but at the same time, I can turn to my fellow moviegoer and we all get it. And that's really unique and really cool. And I, I frankly prefer that kind of experience over an experience of, you know, sitting through a French film with subtitles and understanding this very convoluted plot. You know, I don't really get enjoyment out of that anymore. In fact, I kind of run away from that type of enjoyment. No, oh, I, I like I like the intelligence that makes people stretch still, but that is universally acceptable. Does that make sense? I feel like you have a lot to say about that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> of course I do. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. So I think kind of what we were saying early, like what's it, what makes a film versus a movie in our early definition was what's the ambition basically. And I guess you just framed it better as to say is what is the audience that can and will watch this and under and comprehend and enjoy it. Right. Cause if you don't bring some measure of joy, because joy can be wrapped up in even the sadness of watching a heartbreaking film, you know, you still, there's joy in that as a movie goer. It's a different experience as actually being in it, right? Which is the best part of a movie. You can get very close emotionally to something that you are so distant from, right? Which makes it a safe space Mm -hmm. to kind of challenge people. And that's why I was a little disappointed to hear you say that you don't like being challenged by movies anymore. But that's fine because (laughs) there's many ways that you can be challenged in life and you can't just say, yep, every way that life's going to challenge me, bring it on. Totally agree with you there. Yeah. But I enjoy, yeah. I really enjoy being challenged by films because I think they can really alter, they can more, 
to me, a film, a movie, whatever it is, I don't care how long it is. I don't even care what the format is necessarily. You know, if it's a TikTok, if it's an eight, three and a half hour long, 35 millimeter black and white film, it doesn't matter to me. I think the combination of visual imagery in motion along with synchronized sound is probably one of the most articulate ways humans can express themselves because you can leave so much room for just pure observation on the viewer's part. Um, let me try and... You hit almost every sense. Right. And But you can also... One of the failures of language is that you can't describe some of the most delicate things in our universe, is my humble opinion. I think that we can try as much as we want to be able to articulate something in just pure language, written or spoken. And there's something a movie can capture, even beyond music, what music can do, because I really think music is probably the closest thing to, in my opinion, divinity. Um, But even more so than that, a movie can really, a moving picture can really convey more meaning than anything else. It's a, it's a perfect example. Something something happens in a plot and we shift over to the main character and we see his reaction and we hear music and we see the the camera angle move in and out. All of those things are playing on our emotion and that is to your point an indescribable in words alone an indescribable reaction event emotion that's being elicited yeah and i think to take that power that ability to command that upon a human conscious that might be viewing what you made as a creator of that film and all the people who created that film movie whatever we're going to call it that person could be viewing it 50 years later and can still feel it that blows my mind and if you're going to, to me, honestly, if you're going to waste that on reality TV so you can sell better ads, it makes me a little disappointed in humanity. Although, honestly, I, I totally get it. We're just creatures of comfort for the most part. No, you know what? You, you bring up a good point um, because I, I think that I tend to get very lazy in terms of challenging myself with art. Um frankly, most of the challenging things, you know, I, I get home from a really long day of work and I turn on 10 minutes of an episode of 30 rock. I've seen a thousand times and fall asleep to it. Yep. Um, I've been there too. Futurama is my usual vice, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but even with, I, I, I tend to, to not watch films, listen to art, listen to, to music. That's, that is less entertainment and more. I mean, I I listen to a lot more pop than I used to. Um, mm-hmm. And well, you, pop music's been especially good in the past decade, I would say. But anyways, <laughs> keep, keep going. But but you force me to watch, listen, observe, consume art that is challenging. And every time I do, I'm always better for it. And sometimes you got to pull me kicking and screaming, as you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you just, you, you 
don't shy away from that and you make me shy you make me face it and because i because of the history that you and i have together and because i know that if you give me something it's it's going to be ultimately a good thing to to do you know i sit through it and sometimes i i hate it when i first listen especially an album you give me albums all the time and i you know i I have this very strange way of listening to new music i almost always dislike music when i first hear it um so i mean unless it's it's pop because then it's it's scientifically engineered to appeal to your ears um but i i will listen to an album, a uh, perfect example, uh, Lopesley. It's it's Lapsley, L-A-P-L-S-E-Y. Um, her, I think, only album. You gave it to me. I listened to the first three songs. I'm like, oh, my God, this, this sucks. This is terrible. <laughs> but Ryan gave it to me, and Ryan wouldn't have given it to me if he didn't if – he didn't he, – Right, if I thought it was a waste of time, talk. it wasn't going to end up on your desk. Right. Right. And so I, I just, I turned it on whenever I could. And then one morning I was, I was walking to the L and it just hit me. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I get this. I really get this. It's not something that I would put on at a party. It's not something that I would gravitate towards most of the time if I just want to listen to something that's going to like energize me or, or you know whatever but it's a fantastic album <laughs> <laughs> yeah I agree <laughs> and I wonder I if I wonder if <laughs> yeah I, I wonder if, if more people could benefit from somebody just challenging them you know because it's it's not easy to listen to a challenging piece of music or to watch a challenging film. No, it's it, not necessarily. It takes energy. First off, fun. you have to, think. <laughs> you really have to. Think. Right. You can watch yeah. transformers and you can be in a, in a no mind state, meaning, you know, you are not thinking at all. You are just being entertained. Mm-hmm. You know, you're opening your eyes and people and, and, you know, Michael Bay is shoving light and sound down <laughs> your eyes and ears. Yep, down the eye holes and the film, ear holes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> film requires thought, requires uh, patience. It re- but but it's you know that's that's what learning is. That's what growing is. That's what makes us smarter. That what that's what makes us. I don't know more understanding of the world of art, more appreciative of the world of art, more understanding of of really just different modes, different ways of seeing the world, different things that are important to people. I mean, there's nothing that I love more because I'm just not a detailed-oriented person at all. I absolutely love art that highlights a tiny, minuscule afterthought of life Hmm. and highlights it in a beautiful way because... I see the beauty when it's highlighted and I would walk by it every single day of my life, but for this artist bringing it to my attention. Right. And that makes me a better person. Yep. But you've got to, especially me, I've got to consciously make myself or expose myself to that kind of art. Yep. That's, and I had the great benefit of, 
a lot of training. You know, I was in film courses in at school. I was in a lot of audio music courses, of course, as well. So you could say at least, yeah, three and a half of those years I was at, you know, three and a half of the four years I was at the university. This was a part of my education, right? So it, I was forced to do it, which is usually a good way to start to learn to like something. It's just to beat your head against the wall enough times that you're just like, oh, I actually kind of enjoy this now that I know how to do it. Um, and that, always, and that, you know, cause like one thing, okay, so here's one little thing I do always do, and it's really time consuming. And most people are not going to be able to do this. Even more people are going to be like, that's a dumb idea. I don't even want to do that. Um, first time, in my opinion, first time you watch a movie, you should not be thinking about it. You should not be analyzing any of its aspects from like, uh, um, from a critique perspective. Um, you should just view it for what it is. And then go back and watch it again. And then you kind of start to actually think about the movie. Don't just think about like, oh, what's going on in the story? You think think on the next level, like, okay, I already know how this ends, right? So what are they what are the subtleties that are going on here, scene by scene, that are really tying the story to get better together? And I am one of those people who will sit down, watch a movie, and once I finish it, be like, all right, let's do that again. And I'll start it from the top. And that is a really, like, I'll admit, that's a really dumb thing as far as u- utilizing time um, from an economic perspective, at least. It's not like I'm making money. Usually I'm spending money. So <laughs> it's a very interesting but it's quirk not. of mine. But I find it's not it, from an idea perspective, though, because that, what we talked about last week with, with wine, it's, you know, it, it will enhance your understanding and appreciation of what you're viewing or tasting if you know the context. And so the first time you watch it, you don't know the context. The second time, you do. Yep. Yeah, it's the reason that, why Greek tragedies always started with a synopsis of everything that's going to happen. Why would you tell us the whole story in abstract? Well, because you're going to get a lot more out of it when you have the framework. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why a lot of serials like TV shows tend to play in the same format. Because as a list, as a viewer, you, we learn these things. We learn to expect things, and there's, there might not be much that is as fulfilling to the brain as expecting something and then seeing it happen, right? Because that just affirms that your knowledge <laughs> is good, right? So that's why those yeah, formulas yeah. work so well, and that's why there's always cliffhangers on any Netflix show, Amazon show, whatever you're watching, is because it's like, oh wow, all of a sudden I pieced all these things together at the end. I have all this new information. Now it kind of confirmed some theories, but it didn't confirm other ones. Well, I just got to know what happens next. And then you just click and well, you don't click because usually they just pre-roll for you. But um, that's that's kind of the psychological function that they're playing upon. So it shouldn't be a surprise, you know, that we like those formats. But and kind of going back to what I was I think trying to get to is I because of the education I had because of the experiences that were forced upon me and then I chose to keep diving into beyond that that's how I choose to go about it I mean I don't think unless you're edified unless someone tells you hey watch a movie twice the first time don't just enjoy it enjoy it for what it is second time analyze it you're not going to do that unless either you're so deeply interested in film that you're trying to develop new te- techniques for understanding film or if someone told you it, right? So it's going to take a very uniquely passionate person. And that happens to be one of those little unique things I'm just like, I'm crazy about. Um, so that's why I think it's interesting, like movie versus film. I used to hold on to a very distinct difference. 
And now I think that breaking down things into, you know, a bilateral direction, shall we say, shall we say, is really a disservice to any of the artwork that's being done because it's really more of a family tree to me. Everything's interrelated. We're all, you know, all these movies are connected because they're all referencing each other to some degree. You know, besides the very first movie that was made, everything after that was in some way probably using inspiration and references from other works to actualize the work that they set out to do. So, breaking yeah. it down in the binary? Nah, I don't think you can do that. Branching it out as a family tree? I think that's a better way. The hard part there is it takes a lot of time and energy. I think it's necessary, though, because it's always difficult to experience something that you don't have experience with. And we're, we're exclusively talking about art, but think about different cultures, you know? You and I both have experience going to, to different parts of the world, and it's not easy adapting to a new way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, a new language, a new culture, a new set of customs, a new everything. I mean, everything is just so new. It is not easy. And the lazy survivalist part of your brain wants to go back to America and eat hot dogs and speak English and not have to think about the day to day. You know, you've got to really put in effort to fit in and live in another country or in another culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if you but moved to it's England. through that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Even if you moved to England, it's still a, it's still a different, I mean, hey, it's, it's a, different a different language. language. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it's only through that kind of effort that you expand your universe, your own personal universe of your mind. You expand your perspectives. And with the expanse in perspective comes empathy. Because without that that widening of the mind, you tend to close off to the other. And mm. in in forcing yourself to learn about other cultures, learn about art mediums that you don't normally, you know, uh, consume. It just adds to your worldview, your experiences, and then your empathy with other people. And I think that's why film has such a bad rap is because... Because it's been ruthlessly commercialized for the common denominator lowest common denominator no no yeah. no, no oh <laughs> uh, f- film film <laughs> sorry no I was mean, i going the wrong way my bad uh you were <laughs> you were going the wrong way <laughs> um but the right way for another podcast no i you know film has has such a bad connotation because it just has this intellectual pretentious snobby type of of you know feel to it Ooh, which that's another and, podcast in itself too intellectualism yeah yeah everything is this is the whole thing is one giant tangent that's why there's 500 episodes yep uh but it's you know people oh film film's garbage citizen kane's garbage all that all that old black and white crap i mean black and white crap that's almost a, a a correlation of words um but it's it's i would say it's it's the same thing as as uh you know, racism or nationalism. It's just not, you don't understand where a film buff is coming from. So you think that they're pretentious and, and maybe they, maybe they are, but maybe like you, they have really, you know, it's, it's a passion. It's an interest. It's a, it's a challenge. You know, we 
both may have gotten into it from an ego perspective, but mm-hmm. we're certainly not there now. And well, the things that we enjoy, we enjoy because we enjoy them. Whether we enjoy the challenge, whether we enjoy, you know, nerding out about it on these podcasts with each other. But if you've never had experience or you've never talked to somebody or you've never really been shown, you know, how good something like Casablanca can be, you just, you just don't know. But I, I think it's, it's incumbent upon us as human beings to, to put ourselves in those situations, to digest things outside of our comfort zone, outside of our, of our known world, just to, to build bridges and build empathy. All right, you snowflake. <laughs> As I was saying that, I was thinking, wow, Dave, you're getting real precious. You're <laughs> so sweet, so precious. <laughs> I will take my Nobel Prize. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. I've been reading about the 20, 20 people who changed the world. I'm feeling very, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, monumental. I got you. Monumental, yeah. I agree with you, and I think that's the, the, the troubling not troubling as the difficult part is that there's so much so on the fringes and the niches because i'm clearly a niche moviegoer right i think based on what i've said during this podcast clearly indicates that there aren't many the representation of people who interact with movies the way i do is pretty low probably right yeah so i'm fringe Mm -hmm. right um and I dive so deep into that niche and it's very personal. I'm very passionate about it as you were exactly what you're saying. Then I, there's also that frustration of like, why doesn't, like, why don't you see this? You know, like sometimes it, honestly, Dave, this happens a lot with you. Sometimes I'll throw something at you. I'm just like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I don't, oh, I know. How can you not, where did you, do I, I know can hear you? the exasperation in your voice. <laughs> Yeah, and so, and that becomes a frustration with mine. And then, and I'm trying to extrapolate this to kind of larger context of when you find yourself in a dialogue with anyone, right now it's just me and you, but obviously subtext of pretty much everything that goes on in American life right now is politics. There's always the subtext there currently. I cannot wait for that to die down just a little bit. It'll be, I think it'll, our stress levels will drop. That'll be great. Someday. You know? our, our children's children may see such a world. Well, well, yeah. Let's, yeah. We'll see. So, it's so easy to be frustrated by people not valuing what you value. Especially if it's deeply held and especially if it's personal. I'm not going to be willing to f- contemplate violence against another state because of their opinions on film. But if you replace film with there's a lot of other things that could sit in this seat. The, this conversation all of a sudden becomes very tense, very tight, right? So it's great that we can talk about it, about film, but the same concept applies to other aspects of our life. And so it, that's why I was making fun of you for being a snowflake, because I totally agree with you. And that's all I can really say on the matter, but I wish people would it's like a personal plea, I guess, I'm offering, which is a terrible thing to do this early in a podcast. But, you know, try something new. I don't even care. If you like PBR, go try Miller Lite. That might be good enough, you know. But if you try something new every day, just one little thing, it becomes exhilarating. And I think we're going to cut this so part going out back because this kind of commentary isn't what we're going for. 
I I kind of like it though, and here's where I I think the the question might lead. Okay. So going back to what I said about reality TV, you know, we we used to have these black and white hero movies where we would venerate this hero, and and it was someone to aspire to. Oh yeah, the John Wayne. I think reality TV. Yeah, um, Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> reality TV and. And the hardline reality where every hero is gray and every hero is a little bit good and a little bit bad. Um, I think that's a little bit different. But reality TV, the 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 danger and the disappointment that I see in in it is you. There's nobody to emulate. There's only somebody whose life is so bad, who's so despicable that it makes your life and your choices seem okay by comparison. Whereas before we aspired to be a hero, Mm. now we are content with not being the worst. How do we, how do we get back to a point where we leap towards those challenges? We, we bring back the hero that we want to emulate that when we do something wrong, bad, immoral, we think poorly of ourselves because Batman wouldn't do that. How do we, how do we get there?